It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. My sister recently came to visit me in Los Angeles for the first time in over 10 years, and it was really exciting. It was during 4th of July weekend. We did a road trip, and I was really thrilled about sharing moments with her and going to see some different parts of the state that I hadn't been to. I'd never done the full length. Well, actually, it technically wasn't the full length, but I did most of the coast drive. I'd never been to Big Sur and some of these beautiful parts of California, and neither had she. And it was just an incredible experience to see it in person. And my sister and I are really close. On this trip, though, we had a lot of experience bickering, (laughs) which is not like that uncommon for us, I suppose. My sister is one of those few people where I actually feel comfortable bickering. I feel like I can allow myself to get a little bit angrier, if this makes sense. Like I don't have this fear that our relationship is going to get ruined over a fight. And that's rare for me because in general, I avoid confrontation and I have fears of losing friendships, which has happened before in times that got really heated. And I think the trauma of being upset about something and expressing it to somebody else has caused this fear in me of doing that. So I generally try to avoid confrontation. But because I feel comfortable with my sister, I will allow myself to go a little bit further knowing that at least up until now, we work through it. And the source of most of our bickering on this trip was that she was using her phone a lot. And this is something that has been more and more triggering for me when I'm around somebody that I care about, when I'm doing something that I perceive to be special and important. I feel very sensitive when I see people using their phones. And I think also due to my deep interest in the impacts of technology on our mental health. And the more I learn about how all this time that we spend on our phone is detrimental to us, the more that I'm trying not to do it myself, but also the awareness that I have when other people are on their devices. And watching my sister scroll through Instagram while we're driving through beautiful parts of the country was really challenging for me. I also think it's due to the fact that quality time is one of my main love languages. And just that feeling of wanting to spend quality time with someone, but they're distracted because they're on a device generally makes me feel sad, basically. I feel lonely. And I want to talk about this because we've addressed technology and the impact of mental health, but specifically how many people will use their devices so much to not only like prevent boredom, to communicate out of this fear that if they don't respond to a text or an email quickly enough, if they don't spend enough time on social media, they're going to miss something, all the kind of FOMO and this weird pressure that we have on time and how even on vacation, many of us feel like we have to constantly be connected which is part of this, right? It's weird to me. And I haven't just experienced this with my sister. I've experienced this with other people. And I generally don't say anything. But one thing is like when you're hanging out with somebody and they're texting somebody else (laughs) and it's not urgent, it's so bizarre. I can't remember if I mentioned this on the show, but this happened a few months ago. I, I saw a friend of mine for the first time since COVID started. And I purposefully put my phone away, put it on airplane mode, thought I'm going to go be very present with my friend because there's nothing urgent for me to do. My friend, on the other hand, was texting one of her friends off and on throughout the entire time I was with her. And because I'm so heightened 
in my awareness of this, it really stood out to me. Whereas I think in the past, I wouldn't have noticed as much. And I just remember sitting there going, wow, like, why is she texting somebody else when I'm here with her? Like, honestly, it's become so commonplace that I think many of us don't really think that much of it. It's become very socially acceptable to do things like that. But the more that I step back and observe it, the more bizarre I think it is. It'd be as if you were hanging out at a friend's house and they just randomly invited somebody else over and started hanging out with and talking with them and completely excluded you from the conversation right in front of your face. We probably wouldn't do something like that. But it's very commonplace for someone to pick up their phone and send a message because I think many of us perceive that as, oh, it'll be real quick. Like, let me just, you know, this is part of what my sister was expressing. She's like, I'm not spending that much time doing it. But what she, I don't think, realized, because a lot of times we don't see this within ourselves, somebody will observe it more from their perspective than we observe in our own perception. It was this constant, pick up the phone, look at it, respond to a text, put it down. A minute later, pick up the phone, spend a few seconds, put it down. There's a pause. Maybe the scenery isn't as beautiful and our brains will get bored for a second and we immediately think, oh, time to use our phones. Scroll, scroll, scroll. And I was just watching, finding it just incredibly bizarre. And then I was grateful for that because it caused me to think about my own behavior. And right now in my life, I'm trying not to turn to my phone to reduce boredom. I think because of how I observe how it's interrupting our social relationships, it's a huge issue. But the other side of this that came up is today while I was scrolling on TikTok, ironically, (laughs) I came across this video of a guy talking about an article he read from TED, as in like TED, the the talks, ideas.ted.com. I'm going to link to this article titled, If You Really Want to Remember a Moment, Try Not to Take a Photo. This was written in, or published in September 2017. I will link to this in our show notes at wellevator.com. If you haven't been to our website before, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com is our site. And if you click on the podcast section, every single episode of this show has show notes with links and videos and whatever else that we reference, plus a full transcript. And I'm going to link to this because the timing of this was so important, and I'm also shocked that it was written almost four years ago, and I haven't seen this article. Because the other element of this experience with my sister is the process of documenting and how many of us use our phones whenever we experience something special, we want to document it. And it's becoming so incredibly commonplace that any meal that you have these days a good percentage of people at a meal will want to take a picture of it. Oh my gosh, our food's so pretty. Let me take a photo before I eat it. Let me take a video. If you go to a concert, it's so common for people to document it, the concert. Fourth of July, as I mentioned, which just passed, there was a meme going around like, remember that nobody wants to see your photos and videos of fireworks after Fourth of July, which is true. But yet, when we see something beautiful, something exciting like fireworks, Many of us have this knee-jerk reaction of, oh, I've got to go document it. But how many of us step back and ask ourselves, why? What is the purpose of it? And how is that impacting us in the long run, especially socially? But what's most interesting about this article is that it also talks about how the brain processes things differently and apparently does not hold on to memories as strongly if you take a picture of them. I haven't read the full article. I'm going to do that over the course of this episode as Jason speaking. But my gist from what I got from this other video I saw was that when we take a photo and we put all this emphasis into capturing the photo and then looking at it afterwards, our brain actually remembers the photo more than it does the actual experience. So what I believe the point is, is that the way our brains process When we take a photo, we don't remember all of the other details of the experience. And our brain goes, well, that's a lot of information to store. 
I will just use this photo and store that memory of the photo instead of all the other details. And our brain basically will throw away the details because it's not worth storing if we have the photo. That's what I believe is the case. And I'm going to verify that as I go through the rest of the article. But I thought that was so fascinating. And another reason to spend our time savoring and taking in the details of a situation versus trying to capture it to catalog on some hard drive, for what reason? That's one of my big questions is why do we A, spend so much time on our phones instead of really paying attention to our surroundings and the people that we're with? And B, how much of a disservice are we doing for ourselves by documenting so much? So ultimately, it seems like our phones should not be something that we spend that much time on because they're deeply interrupting our present experiences and then our memories, which to me sounds like a really bad thing for us psychologically. What do you think, Jason? My mind immediately goes to what life was like when I took photos before I had a phone that had the capability to take photos. You know, because let's say prior to the iPhone and certainly prior to Facebook and Instagram, I remember the camera on my last phone, Whitney, before my first iPhone was a Motorola Razor flip phone, right? And the camera on that flip phone was crap. I recall taking pictures on that Motorola Razor and the quality of those photos were not worth sharing. I mean, I might text them to a friend, but I certainly didn't share those photos on any kind of social media platforms. But even pre-camera phone, I mean, let, let's go let's go back to the 90s and early 2000s. Taking photos was only something that I would scrapbook, right? Or I would share with my close family or close friends. Like if I think about the physical photos that I took back in the day, those were never meant to be shared with anyone outside of my immediate circle of people that I was very close to. I wasn't going to go to a random stranger on the street and go, hey, look at my trip to the Himalayas, dude. Isn't that cool? Aren't I worthy of your affection and, and praise? Look, I went to the Himalayas. But now that's what we're doing. We're capturing these memories to get praise and attention and validation from thousands or tens of thousands or millions of strangers on the internet that don't know us, we don't know them, to show them, look how great my life is. I mean, think about that. Prior to camera phones and prior to social media, we never did anything like that. We didn't share trips from our photos, trips from our weddings, trips from our child's birth, our darkest moments, our moments of depression, our moments of triumph. We didn't share photos of those moments with anyone except maybe the closest people in our life. So to me, my mind, Whitney, immediately goes to, I think that there is a huge part where we have a socially acceptable ego validation that is tied to capturing those moments where there's almost a commodification of moments now. Like, I must capture this cute dog. I must capture this meal. I must capture this trip where I'm on the balcony of the Greek coast in this beautiful shot of the ocean. Why are we doing it? We're not just doing it through our camera roll. I mean, sometimes I'll scroll through my camera roll wit and I'll go, oh yeah, I remember that party. I remember that great thing. But for the most part, I think we've commodified moments in our lives now where we're using them as social equity to show how great our lives are. Prior to this technology, we never fucking did that. There was no reason to. I didn't like you know, take photos of my meal prior to camera phones and social media. I didn't take photos necessarily of these seemingly innocuous moments. It just didn't happen. So I, I think in some ways, technology has created this socially acceptable behavior you're describing. And it's interesting, right? Because I made dinner with my girlfriend's mom and her family like a few weeks ago. And it was the first photo of a meal I think I had taken in more than a year, Whitney. And it felt good because I reflected on the fact that I've been eating meals and not feeling like I need to document every fucking meal I'm making. And you know what that's like. We were caught, you and I were caught in sort of that behavioral pattern for years. You go out to a meal and what's the cliche phrase that everyone passes around in our industry? The camera eats first. So stupid. Camera eats first. Fuck your camera. Just have the food. Okay. 
And I say that because I did that for years too. So I can say that and also like call myself in on that behavior. But I'm glad to say that it was the first time in over a year I had done that. And I don't have any desire to document that stuff anymore. But I want to go back really quickly because while you were explaining sort of the the dynamic between you and Mary and some of your thoughts and feelings on the unconscious usage of the phone, like you mentioned there's two things. You mentioned that she had never been up that part of that coast. Like there were things that she hadn't experienced, Mary hadn't experienced, things you hadn't seen. And knowing you for so many years, I know that you you in my observation, you thrive on novelty. When there's a new experience, a new place, a new food, you get really excited. And I also notice that when other people aren't as excited, you're kind of like, why aren't you as excited? And I, I get that too, right? When you were observing Mary in those moments, what was your process of observing that? Were you judging her? Were you angry at her? Were you frustrated? Like, What was your emotional process in observing her behavior? And what did that feel like when you were observing? And I'm just curious like, what your response or reaction was to that. I felt lonely at times and I guess frustrated. I mean, it it sucks when you're the one driving and the person next to you is on their phone because you can't do it yourself. So there's almost like a experience of FOMO, but there's a major disconnect. And this is something that's actually really irritated me on road trips with people that spend a lot of time on their phone because it just feels isolating. It's like there's a wall up. You may as well just be with a stranger, you know, when they're they're deep in their device. And one of the things I love about road trips is just taking in things and getting away from life. And I love that about driving is because you have to focus on the road. And I get the documenting. In my whole life, I've really enjoyed documenting things. I've been taking photos and videos well before smartphones were around. And it's something that I appreciate. I appreciate the art form and I appreciate the ability to recall and reminisce and go back and the things that our brains don't remember. Having that photo there is is a really nice keepsake and it's nice to be able to share that with someone. I mean, I just think photography and videography is is fantastic. So I understand the desire to capture it. I also understand, to your point, Jason, the draw to connecting with people and the pressures that we have to respond and all of these things. But I'm also hyper aware of how other people are feeling. And I personally perceive it to be rude to be on your phone when you're socializing, unless A, it's urgent. B, other people are doing it and you're like, well, guess I might as well. And see like if there's like a specific reason for it, right? Like, but when someone's excessively on a device, it really feels rude. And especially it's rude when somebody asks you not to do it and you continue to do it. Now, my dynamic with my sister is that she is very rebellious. And the fact that I asked her not to do it probably made her want to do it more. She perceived me as being controlling and I stepped back and reflected on that. And I thought, okay, am I trying to control her? I don't believe so. I I believed that it was bothering me. It's also distracting. You know, I'm very hyper aware of detail. So when I'm trying to focus something, like I'm very distracted by sounds, by movements, like it, it's a lot for me. So while I'm driving, seeing someone on a device, listening to things, watching videos, reacting to things. But I think it's also that missing out experience. Like someone's in their like own little world, seeing photos or videos or talking to people and that cu- natural curiosity, like what are they doing and what what am I missing? And they're having fun without me. I think that gets very triggered too. But the biggest feeling that I identified is just the sadness of not being able to experience something with someone. So driving through beautiful parts of of the country and taking it in. And to your point, Jason, like that experience for me is magnified when the other person sees it too. And I think that's one of the reasons that we do document things is that when you when you're at a concert, for example, it's like, wow, this is so incredible. I want to share this so that other people can experience it too. I think that's a huge part of social media. It's not necessarily to brag like, hey, look at what I'm doing and you're not doing. 
a platform like TikTok, for example, I love going through and seeing what other people are doing because then I decide if I want to do it as well. That's one of my favorite things about it. I love just getting new ideas, learning things from people. So that element of sharing is there's a lot of levels to it, layers to it, right? But I've noticed, I guess, over the years, Jason, like the use of photography and just how it takes away from people and the distraction that it causes. Because we know that our focus as human beings is greatly impacted by that. I mean, we do not really have an ability to multitask in the way that we think we do. So when people say, oh, I'm listening, but they're typing away texting, technically, they're not really hearing what you're saying. Plus, there's so much more to a conversation than what you hear. Seeing somebody's facial expression is a huge part of it. So when someone's texting or using social media while they're having a conversation with you, they're not picking up on the whole thing and their brains are not really able to process what you're saying. So the other level of this, Jason, is incredibly frustrating. My sister in general is easily distracted. So it's very tough for me to see her on her phone because I'm like, I'm not even going to bother saying something until she's off her phone because I know she's not going to fully hear it. And I can't stand it. When someone's like, oh, yeah, uh uh-huh, uh-huh, and they, like, do that, and they're, like, indicating to you that they hear you and they agree with you or whatever it is, and then they put down their phone and maybe, like, an hour passes and you're like, oh, yeah, remember when blah, blah, blah happened? And they're like, no, and you're like, but you said that – you said yes and you indicated it, but they have no memory of it. So it's like that weird – I don't even know what you would call that. It's like that pseudo – We've trained ourselves to give cues as if we're actually listening to someone when we're not. That's disturbing too. And I think it's this awareness again, Jason, that I have of how crucial socializing is to us for our mental health and how much technology is getting in the way of that. That's like on a deeper level of, it's not just my personal experience. I think I'm naturally compelled to encourage people to do things that are good for them. And seeing someone like my sister, who I deeply love, behave in that way, I wonder, it's not just about it bothering me, like how many other people are bothered by it, but don't say anything because they don't feel comfortable saying it. How many other relationships are impacted by that behavior? And as an older sister, it's like, I care about my sister and I want to do what's you know, help her out. I know I can't control her and I'm not in charge of her, but I want to encourage that behavior and and highlight something like, hey, like this isn't just about me. This is about you and how this behavior might actually be slowly degrading other experiences and relationships. I think, you know, <laughs> it'd be interesting if people were a lot more radically honest about their experience in the sense that when you talk about this sort of conditioning where people are like, uh-huh, yep, got it. Okay, cool, right. It would be interesting if people were like, you know, actually I care more about what's happening on my phone or my text or my social than listening to you right now. Because I, I don't know if that's the case. I don't want to make a sweeping generalization in every single instance, but that seems pretty accurate to me, doesn't it? When someone does that, yeah, mm-hmm, got it, cool. Okay, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. I've done it. I've done it in conversation too, when someone's going on and on and on about something. And I'm just like, and the reality is I don't have the balls or the courage to say, I care about you, but I really don't care what you're talking about right now. And so instead of saying that, we go, "Uh uh-huh, yep, cool. Which to me is a translation means I don't really care what you have to say, or I do care, but I don't have the bandwidth. And the thing I'm focused on is more important than what you're expressing right now. People don't say that because it might be hurtful. But I mean, Whitney, don't you think it's kind of implied when people do that? And let me ask you this. If people were to actually say that, like, I actually care more about this than what you're saying right now, would that hurt more or less for you than the, "Uh uh-huh, yep, got it, cool? I think in the long run, it'd be beneficial for us to be more honest about that. But it also is important to recognize that we're being manipulated by technology, I mean, most people don't really understand how their brains work. 
And I barely do, even though I've studied a lot of the psychological elements of the brain. That's a passion of mine, but there's so much about the way my brain works that I don't understand. And we're taking advantage of, of that. I mean, a lot of the apps that we have, websites that we use, are designed based on studies of human behavior and on subtle ways and, and maybe somewhat harmless ways we're manipulated. But we all know, or most, I should, I should say, many people know, it's no secret, that platforms like Instagram, it's in their interest to keep you on there as long as possible. They're rewarding you for staying on there by giving you this stimulation. And I think what happens, Jason, is we have gotten to this point where that stimulation feels so good that we prefer it over a lot of other experiences. And that to me is where a lot of the danger lies. And this is, again, why I think it is drastically impacting our relationships. And we talked about AI a, a few episodes ago, where it's very likely that human beings will choose to be in relationships with artificial intelligence over each other because we can control it. We can protect ourselves emotionally in a lot of ways. We can get pleasure from something without having to deal with the human consequences. And I think this is part of it too. And part of your point, Jason, is that most people can't even articulate like, hey, right now, scrolling through Instagram is more pleasurable than having a conversation with you. What I'm seeing on my phone is more interesting than what I'm seeing outside the car windows as we drive through California. Now, when you ask me about the judging side, yeah, I feel a little judgy. I'm like, hey, we're driving through an area that it is very likely you will never return to. Whereas what's on your phone is technically permanently there, unless it's like an Instagram story or something that disappears. You could go back and look at somebody's Instagram photos or videos anytime, as long as they don't delete it. It's there. But this area that we're driving through a, you may never return to, but B, it's never going to be exactly the same as it is in that moment. There's too many variables. It could be burned down, you know, it could be destroyed in some way or another. It could be built upon. Like there's so many factors to the present moment that you will never get back. And yet because of the way these apps have manipulated us, we have been conditioned to believe that that is much better for us. And Going back to the judgment side, listen, I'm, I understand the human desire to experience pleasure. I understand that some people find pleasure in one thing. Some people find pleasure in another. It's not my job to determine what pleasure is right or wrong or better or worse. As we've kind of alluded to in some episodes, I tend to want to prioritize nature. I see nature as a bit superior to technology, even though I really enjoy technology, ultimately nature wins out. Spending time looking around scenery and seeing the ocean and rolling hills, that to me feels more important than looking down at my phone, right? And I think what's complicated about this, Jason, is that if you do not have an awareness of how your phone is detrimental to your brain in some ways, or manipulating you. It may seem weird if somebody encourages you not to be on your device. It's like, hey, what's wrong with it? Everybody has these phones. Everybody's using them. This is common. This is socially acceptable behavior. But if somebody's coming at it from this approach of like, hey, not only is this important to me for you to be off your phone, but as I said earlier, like I'm encouraging you in hopes that you'll recognize your dependency on this device and how it might be kind of inappropriate or rude in general, maybe there can be a shift. But And this is part of the reason I think it's important to talk about in this episode is like, there's so much ignorance. And that ignorance is taken advantage of. And also this bizarre time that we live in, which I don't really understand the roots of it, Jason. We've talked about this before, the urgency in which replying to a text or an email and how so many people feel like they have to constantly be accessible. This is triggering you, I can tell. So what is it that you're feeling about that communication urgency right now? 
to the point, Jason, you know, I'm bringing this up in the context of a vacation, which my sister was on. And I technically was trying to take a break from work too. But the entire time I'm away, quote, from work, I'm still kind of thinking about it and wondering if I'm, you know, taking too long with something or not doing something on time or am I missing something? You know, it's like that because technology allows us to constantly be connected, we can often carry an anxiety of not doing enough and not allowing ourselves to take a break from it, which certainly is detrimental to our mental health. So what is it for you, Jason, that bothers you so much about that? It's a good question. I don't know that we are going to be able to recondition people away from this desire for immediacy and urgency with everything. The reason that I kind of like tilted my head back, if you are not watching the YouTube version of this, we highly suggest you check out the YouTube channel for This Might Get Uncomfortable because you get to see all kinds of interesting reactions to things. Although I will say that the way that I edit the YouTube videos, nobody saw your head tilting back, Jason, unless oh, I like right. insert it in in some crazy Okay, well, let me... Way. <laughs> let, all right, let me recreate you can re, it. You can reenact it, sure. All right. So when Whitney was talking about the urgency and the immediacy, I was just like this, like, oh, God. Like that was just, I just needed to, yeah. <sighs> I think what it is, is not just the conditioning of people wanting things right away. It's the volume in which those requests come and the volume of things to be dealt with. And here's what I mean by that. In my life right now, this is what is trying to command my attention, right? It's my personal inbox. It's the YouTube email I have connected to my YouTube channel. It's the Wellevator email, and it's the current client that I'm working with, right? So that's four different email inboxes, four. Then there's three different Instagram accounts. There's mine, there's Wellevator, there's my clients, all of which have direct messages that come in not every single one daily, but DMs to respond to, which I'm currently backlogged. Not on Wellevator, I caught up today, but on my client and my personal, I have like dozens of DMs to respond to. So four inboxes, three direct message inboxes on Instagram only. Then you think about the all the inboxes I'm ignoring, like on pretty much on LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter. I've just pretty much abandoned that because it's over. The point is, I think people, many, many people are now on a neurological level, so wired for anxiety and constant, let's get it done, let's do this, come on, come on, come on, come on, all the time, that I personally am trying to slow down in my life. And it seems like what I what I was dreading is happening. And when I say what I was dreading, I think I mentioned this in previous episodes, that I've been dreading like the world opening back up and quote, normalcy. And I'm seeing that manifested now in people sort of like, Back to the work habits that they had before, which is like, like you said, urgency, anxiety, speed. Let's get this done. We got to get it up by this time. Come on, come on, come on, come on. And I'm honestly in a mode where I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to operate in a business context, Whitney, moving forward in my life where so many people are in that mode where it seems like certain people, there's always a fire to put out. Everything's always urgent. Everything always needs attention. And it's interesting you bring up rebelliousness, right? Because we've talked about my tendency is being a rebel. And there's a part of me that wonders how, as I'm slowing down and I feel like things are not urgent, because I just want to say this, and I'm not besmirching anyone's perspective on things, but if we really think about it, Whitney, there's very few things that are super fucking urgent, but people act like shit's going to fall apart if the thing doesn't happen. Really, if you think about what, like, what does urgency mean to you? Something of harm will come if I don't do this thing. Something will happen where there's a massive ripple effect that may do harm or put someone in danger. That's how I define urgency. Most shit is not in that category. Most shit is like, oh, I might offend someone. Okay. Oh, they might think I'm unreliable. Okay. Like if we think about the desire and the anxiety of urgency, it's usually we're afraid of another person's perception of us or our actions or our non-actions. 
That's how I think most people perceive things that are urgent. Oh, this might piss someone off. They might be upset with me. Oh God, I better do it. I'm not saying that's not important, right? We talk about the importance of relationships and social interactions, but like real urgency, most things are not in that category. So it pisses me off and it irritates the fuck out of me when I see people running around with like their pants on fire, like, we gotta get this done. And I'm like, no, we don't. Like, yes, it will get done. But you running around with fucking, you know, vinegar in in your panties, freaking out over this shit. That's why I got triggered when you said that. I'm noticing now as the world opens back up and things are restarting, how people are defaulting to that old style of behavior. And it's massively triggering for me. And I don't know how I'm going to be able to deal in business relationships moving forward. Because there's a part of me, Whitney, that just doesn't want to fucking deal with people like that anymore. And I don't know that that's possible. I don't know that I can avoid. I think I just need to manage my approach to it differently because I don't think I'm going to be able to avoid it. I think I need to adjust my reaction and my response to it somehow. It's a lot about boundaries, in my opinion, and personal preferences. It reminds me of this conversation I was having with my Beyond Measure group earlier today. One of the members brought up how it's kind of bizarre that a lot of offices have like dress codes. And she said, who are we dressing up for? Why are we doing this? Each other? What's the point? How is that determined to be professional? And I was really fascinated by that. I think there's a lot of anxiety that people have right now in going back to the office because they feel like they can't dress comfortably. And how they've dressed when they've been working from home is how they really want to dress. And I've been feeling that too. I mean, just going out again, going out to meals and any type of socializing, I feel so much anxiety about how I look to others because I've just been spending a lot of time at home wearing whatever I really like. Now, the plus side is that now I'm aware of what I truly feel physically comfortable in, which I had a a more surface level awareness to before. And what you're describing, Jason, seems similar in that you have a pace that you feel comfortable at. And that doesn't mean you have to adhere to it. Certainly, you could miss out on opportunities if you go at a different pace than others. Certainly, you might not be a fit for certain business relationships, personal relationships, if you don't meet somebody else's standards. But on the other hand, you don't really know that those people are attached to those standards until you talk to them about it because they might be operating unconsciously thinking that that's the speed that they have to go to because somebody else was going at that speed. So I'm a big fan of communicating and saying, hey, this is not working for me. Here's why. Can we do things differently? Easier said than done. It's very hard to verbalize those things. I can't remember if I had mentioned this on a previous episode, Jason, but In June and actually, I think it was mostly June. I can't even believe we're almost at mid-July already as of the time we're recording this. (laughs) By the time this episode comes out, it will be mid-July. In June of 2021, I had been struggling with focus and really finding it hard to finish some projects. I'm still experiencing some of that. And I had a lot of fear around how long it was taking me to get things done. And I was examining that and recognizing that I was projecting this belief that if I didn't get something done at a certain speed, it wouldn't be acceptable and I would miss out. I'd be rejected. And I sat with that and thought, well, I don't feel like I'm fully able or willing to go at that speed and I'm okay with missing out. Just like Jason, with certain forms of communication, there's plenty of people personally and professionally that I haven't responded to yet. Some people literally months or years go by. Now, there's part of me that intends to get back to them one day. (laughs) There's plenty of people that I never get back to because I know myself and my email inbox a huge percentage of emails never get responded to. It's not because I don't want to. It's because I didn't have the energy of the bandwidth at that time and it wasn't a priority. And not in a rude sense, like you're not a priority. It's, It's just simply the case of what's going on in my life. And that's okay. The consequences of that, Jason, for the most part have been pretty minimal. And to your point, when working with clients, I found 
it's very rare that there's actually a deadline that has to be met. And it's just okay in a lot of those scenarios, especially if you communicate it. That's where I found is the key. In certain dynamics, if I communicate, this is how long it's taking. This is approximately when I will get it done. Are you okay with that? Generally, the answer is yes. There are some times where I don't respond to people or communicate that to to them. But if they give me a sense of importance, then I will tend to act faster because they're creating some urgency. For example, if someone messages me multiple times, I get the sense that it's actually important for them to hear from me. So again, those are all about creating those boundaries. But we can also express to other people what our personal preferences and boundaries are with time. And that ties into this conversation in the sense of like articulating to someone like when something's bothering us, when something feels like it's hurting us or it's causing us to not enjoy an experience. I think it's actually incredibly important for us to verbalize that. And it's not necessarily going to be easy But it does have a long-term, there's a ripple effect to it all. Going back to this article that I brought up, one thing that is fascinating to me is that when we take a photo of something, we're counting on the camera to remember it for us. And we're telling our brains, I don't need to think about this any further. And so our brains don't need to process it on some certain levels because we've outsourced it to our cameras. Our brain can capture, our camera can capture the moment instead of our brain. And that comes back around to our dependence on technology to do things for us, which I think is actually pretty cool. You know, depending on how your brain works, it's handy to have tools. If you're a forgetful person, writing a list, taking a photo is helping you. It's an aid, right? But then again, are you weakening your brain's ability? You know, can you work on remembering things? Can you practice it? Can you build that muscle? I guess it depends on your brain. But the boredom side of it, this article actually, Jason, is an excerpt I found out when I got to the end of it from this book that came out in 2017 called Bored and Brilliant, How Spacing Out Can Unlock Your Most Productive and Creative Self. And this article has a lot of tips about the, quote, boredom and how that's actually beneficial to us. One thing she points out is that when we're on our devices, we have this constant stream of what's next, what's next, what's next, and we never fully embrace any of the experiences we're having. I think that's ultimately, going back to your question earlier, Jason, like, that kind of gets to the core of what bothered me is like, I wanted to be with my sister because it was a special time. And when she was on her device, it didn't feel like she was fully embracing the present moment that we will never be able to experience through our phones. We could take tons of photos, but you know what I really noticed when we were driving through Big Sur which for people that don't know, it's, it's on the coast of California and it's just these huge cliffs and rolling hills and crashing waves. And it's just absolutely stunning. And I noticed how different it was to me, Jason, than the photos I had seen of it. I had this idea of what Big Sur was, but experiencing it in person was beyond any of those expectations that a photo or video created for me. And likewise, my sister kept saying that no matter how hard she tried, none of the photos or videos she was taking along the way did it justice. She kept trying over and over again, like, oh, maybe if I do it this way, maybe if I capture it from this angle or, you know, whatever, like, and she kept doing it over and over and saying the same thing. And up, just doesn't look as good. And it's so important because it's true. That no matter how many times she goes back and looks at those photos, they're never going to capture what it was actually like to have that experience in person. And that's why if we can just step back for a moment and ask ourselves, like, what is the purpose of this? Are we trying to 
use our devices as a way to compensate for our brain's ability to forget. But then I think, Jason, my photo of Big Sur will probably never look good as a professional nature photographer. So what if instead I just experienced it in person and then went and looked up the thousands of photos available online, which are probably done with better equipment and, you know, more intention than me just snapping a quick photo. And then that actually can shift my relationship to taking photos as well, which is something that came up in this article about like taking less photos. What's important is capturing a photo of my sister in Big Sur. I don't need to capture the waves or what, whatever else. Sure, it might make me feel good for specific moments, but like for the most part, somebody else has taken that, that photo from the similar or same angle and I can just go back and look at that. But nobody's taken a picture of my sister in the way that I have, right? So that I feel like is nice. But perhaps what I can get into the practice of after reading this article is really intentionally savoring the moment and looking around at all the details and just saying, okay, well, what's happening right here? I can hear the sounds of the waves. I can smell the air. That's not going to be captured. I mean, I guess the sound of a wave from a camera, but, but even so, the microphone doesn't pick it up in the way that your ears do. So can you stand there and just really take it all in? And if it's important to you, take a picture as well at, to enhance that memory. Can you take less photos? I think that's important too, because I just recognize this time and time again, like the photos just don't really ever quite do it justice, but I'm wasting all of that precious time and energy taking a photo and trying to get it just right. When like, no matter how hard I try, it's it's never going to compensate for the real in-person experience that I'm savoring. And then going back to the purpose, I think as creators, for you and I, Jason, and any of our listeners that are also content creators, I've noticed there's this pressure to capture just in case. Like, let me document it so, I c- so if I want to later, I can post it. That's the other thing I've experienced being around friends that use social media. Not only is taking photos and videos like taking you out of the experience, because we've been in that position, Jason, where like, maybe you don't want to take a photo, but the person with you is taking one. And there's that like awkward moment where you're just standing there waiting for them to be done taking the photo. Or they're asking you to take pictures of them and they're posing and it becomes this whole photo shoot. And you're like, I'm just trying to experience this restaurant, but now I'm being asked to take all these photos and they want to look at them and decide if they're photo worthy. And and then from there, many people have this urgency, like I got to post it right now. So very often people will post their photo at the restaurant. And that means that they're going on Instagram and they've got to pick the photo that they want to use. They might edit it and then they're going to likely write a caption and put all of this thought into it while you're there. So, you know, my sister was po- doing a little bit of that, not excessively. She's not really a content creator, but she does use social media. And she's like making Instagram stories and Snapchats and like typing in a little text on the screen and all that stuff and posting it immediately while she's there in the moment when like there's no urgency for the person on the other side they don't care if she posts it right then and there or if she posts it later. You know, like nobody really cares. And the other side of it too, Jason, is the person receiving it does not have any of the emotional attachment to that moment that you do in that moment. So when I post a video of myself and Big Sur, very likely someone's going to look at it for one second and scroll right past it and be on, go on with their life. Maybe they'll savor it and say, wow, I've never seen Big Sur. I'm glad I saw it through your lens. You've inspired me to go. That to me is the best case scenario. But do you understand what I'm saying? Like, if something's remarkable to you, like I think of how in one of the areas we were on in the coast, we saw whales out in the distance. And there was no way I was going to be able to capture that well with my camera. I didn't even bother, right? To me, seeing a whale out in the ocean with my own eyes is remarkable. But 
to somebody else, unless it's a really good photo or video, it means absolutely nothing to them. So why would I put all this effort into capturing something for somebody else and then using that precious moment to share it with somebody who doesn't care nearly as much, if at all, as I do? If I'm not getting paid for it, if I'm not like doing important work, why would I ever sacrifice that moment I will never get back? Fantastic question. One thing that I wanted to comment on when you were talking about how taking photos is basically shifting the responsibility to the camera and digital technology to basically be the wheelhouse of our memories, the storehouse rather of our memories. It flashes to me on a couple of things, Whitney, that I think are related. One is when we were starting this podcast, there were several people, one in particular comes to mind, but there were there were a small several handful of people that were encouraging us not to do long format because they said something to the effect of people's attention spans are not what they used to be. People want quick bite-sized content. The average daily commute, of course, this was pre-COVID, pre-work at home. You know, the average daily commute's between 20 and 30 minutes. You guys should definitely do a podcast that's between like 15 and 30 minutes. We didn't want to do that, clearly. I mean, if you are with us this long, we're at, you know, 55. We're at 55 minutes into this podcast. We sometimes go 90 minutes to two hours long. I think part of that was that Whitney and I made a conscious decision to say, we understand the statistics. We understand what you're saying about people's attention span being degraded due to technology, but we're going to do it the way we want to fucking do it. And if people only want to listen to 15 minutes, great. Only listen to 15 minutes. If people want to listen to an hour podcast, great. I think it's important to create Two, for two reasons. I think it's important to create art and create content the way you want to. It doesn't mean don't listen to mentors. It doesn't mean don't take the wisdom and advice of people you admire. But I think at the end of the day, you have to listen to your intuition and do it the way you want to do it. That's number one. Number two, I think it is important to do long-form content in a world that is thriving on short-form, bite size throw away digestible content. I think this is one of the reasons why I, ha- I take umbrage with TikTok. I know you love TikTok and for the most part, I do too, Whitney. But I think it's that along with Instagram stories and other platforms are training people's brains to lack focus and lack the ability to absorb long form information, long blog posts, long newsletters, long form content like this. I think people are being conditioned by technology and social platforms to see their focus being diminished. Now, people might say, well, Jason, do you have any statistics to back this up? I'll look them up and put them in the show notes. I don't have them right in front of me. But I think for anyone who is in the content creation field or social media, you know that for the most part, they are backing away from long-form content and supporting long-form content. I mean, I think they just just increased TikTok videos to, what, 60 seconds this past year, Whitney? Oh, it's three minutes now. Okay, well, that's good to know. That's good to know that three minutes is now. That's actually, that makes me feel good. But also in the pantheon of life, three minutes ain't shit when you think about it. To some people, they'll be like, oh my God, someone made a three-minute TikTok. I'm like, children, three minutes is fucking nothing. You think three minutes is a long time because you're used to seeing 15 fucking seconds. Sorry, I'm getting on old man on a lawn speech right now. Because you can't deal with longer. But it's true. People are being conditioned. I can't deal with this. It's more than 60 seconds long. It's having, I'm worried. I'm worried, Whitney. I'm worried about our focus as humanity. I'm worried about our ability to digest deep, meaningful, long form things. I don't know. This is all to say that I think that it's not just photos. It's information and content in general being sort of this disposable throwaway type thing. And I think it's having a negative effect on people's ability to focus and retain information. This is why awareness is so important. And really being conscious of our priorities and articulating them, you know, I think the more I reflect on things like this, I recognize that some people just go through the motions. They don't give much thought to it. They're kind of driven by whatever makes them feel best in the moment. I also think on a deep level that 
as human beings, we're wired to socialize and connect and be part of a group, but we're being pulled in a lot of different directions. And technology is not all on the same page. It's not like all these companies are communicating. They're like, what's best for the human species? Like, let's all come together to develop things that make us all good people. The truth is a lot, if not most of these platforms are driven by money and they know how to manipulate us just like fast food can manipulate us to crave it based on you know, what's put into things and the smells and the visual experience, all of that stuff is designed in a way to get us going back for more. And at, at what cost is the question. It's a pay with your purse versus a pay with your person scenario, which is the phrase Jason and I like to use. There's nothing inherently wrong with fast food, in my opinion. I mean, if somebody enjoys eating French fries and burgers, like who am I to say? I love that. I mean, it's really good. The salt and the oil and the sugar involved with all that stuff. We are designed to crave those. Or that's just how our bodies work. We crave those things. And when they're giving to us an excess at a good price and we, we don't want to have to step out of our car because it's through a drive through and our lives are feeling stressful, and that's like a treat for us. And if you you look at the conditions of our lives, and I think this is part of my sister's point, the bickering that we had was I was trying to verbalize how I felt when she was on her phone. But for her, taking time off work for once, since she works a lot, to just sit in a car and be on her phone was incredibly pleasurable to her, which felt like a vacation. And I think she was afraid that I was trying to take away her pleasure, right? I don't have a problem with people using phones. I'm not anti-phone, anti-social media, whatever, at least not at this point. But it's the excess in which we do these things and the long-term ramifications plus how they're making other people feel. And so I think most people are in agreement that if you have too much fast food, your body's going to start to break down because it just can't handle all that processed food in your body. Sure, it might be pleasurable every once in a while, maybe looking at it as some sort of a treat or reward or a phase that you're in, fine. But I think technology is very similar where if every single day or we're doing an excessive amount over a short period of time, it's going to have a long-term impact on our brains. That's what many articles are pointing to. And that is really scary to me because of the way that it impacts us as individuals, but us collectively. And we're also rewarding these technology companies. I've been seeing posts on you know, TikTok, if the listener hasn't heard me say this before, like I, I hear your point, Jason, and I certainly try to be very aware of how TikTok stimulates my brain. I'm aware that I turn to it when I feel bored. I'm aware that I turn to it when I want to take a break. I'm also aware that it doesn't usually make me feel that great. But what I do really enjoy about TikTok is it's like bite-sized pieces of information, not just entertainment. And I learn a lot in a short span of time. And another video I had seen on there recently was someone talking about how dating apps are designed and how manipulative they are to us. And it's so disturbing to see like what those have done for us romantically. You know, we have not only the disposable side of like, oh, swipe, there's always another person. Like just as the article was saying, like the what's next thing, like people use dating apps when they're bored. And I was thinking about that recently. I was like, that's kind of messed up. I'm bored, so I'm going to go on a dating app and see if anyone here stimulates me and makes me feel good about myself. I'm not really interested in anything serious. I just want to be, I just want pleasure, you know? And it's like, I guess that's the big theme of this topic, Jason. It's like, there's nothing wrong with pleasure in certain circumstances, but in, in excess, it can be really bad for us. It can be very hurtful to our bodies, hurtful to our brains, hurtful to our relationships. And I think that's a huge core of the mental health challenges that we have. But it's hard to blame the individuals because the individuals are probably not very aware of the actions. You know, 
the long-term ramifications of their decisions. Because as we said recently about like the environmental side of things, like we're put so much pressure, we're given a lot of pressure to be eco-friendly as individuals, where the truth is most of the corporations are playing a bigger role in the destruction of the planet. So if the corporations took more responsibility, then the individuals could complement that and support that. But how can you blame someone who doesn't realize what they're doing to themselves and their relationships when they use technology in the way that it's been easily packaged and presented to us? Oh, everybody else is on Instagram. So I'm going to scroll through Instagram. Everybody else is using a dating app. That's how I'm going to go on there and find someone. Everyone else swipes through really quickly and ghost people and catfishes them and all of these like acceptable things. We are manipulated by these companies to do the things that everybody else is doing and finding acceptable without even really recognizing how it could be hurting one another. And I, I guess that that is at the core, Jason. I want to do less harm to individuals and I want to encourage people to share what's hurtful to them and not be gaslit for it. You know, like this whole oh, don't let that, it's not that big of a deal. Just let me go on Instagram. It's not that big of a deal. I just want to take 20 photos at each restaurant I go to. It's not that, you know, like we just become this, don't worry about it, or you're the outlier. Oh, you can't work as fast as me. Like that's the way this company works. Like a lot of the things that we've discussed today, I think the challenge is that when people don't speak up about what's important to them, nothing ever changes. And then sometimes when people do speak up about something that's bothering them, they're seen as the issue because they're the outlier. But we do have a lot of big issues at play here that we need to talk about and we need to share what's hurting us. And we need to recognize how this could be incredibly detrimental to us in our relationships in the long run. I'm really curious what the listener thinks about this subject matter. This is definitely an episode we'd love to hear your thoughts on. And ironically, one of the most common ways that we hear from our listeners is through Instagram. (laughs) I always say on my personal platforms that it takes me a long time to get back, but I read every single message. So if you ever send us a DM on our Wellevator Instagram account, I see every single one. Jason sees most of them. Jason usually responds because I don't like to respond, but we certainly take in everything that you say to us and we deeply appreciate it. It's overwhelming to me to communicate sometimes. Again, ironically, I don't enjoy communicating through platforms like Instagram, but I do enjoy reading messages, if that makes sense, similar with email. So I truly mean it for you, the listener, when you send us messages, it's so exciting. Like I l- absolutely love it because I feel connected to you. And I don't know why, but my brain really struggles to continue the conversation. I think it's very overwhelming to me. But with that said, if you would like to email us a response to this episode, DM us on Instagram or whatever other platform, you can leave a comment on the show notes at wellevator.com. Again, that's spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. There's a little comment section at the bottom, just like a blog post, where you can share how you feel about this. And if you have other articles, if you have points that we didn't bring up, if you want to hear us talk about it from a different angle, we also take requests We just love the back and forth. That's actually probably the biggest downside to running a podcast, I would say, or the majority of content these days, Jason, is that I really enjoy the experience of a conversation with others and not, it sometimes feels weird to me to just be the one talking and having someone listen without the ability to express themselves in real time. Certainly live video helps with that, but that's still not, we're not quite at a point where that makes sense. You know, like live videos and all these platforms still feel weird to me because like people are just sitting there writing comments. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like uh, it's just not the same. This is on my platform Beyond Measure. Every week we have a video call together and we just talk about whatever's on our minds. So if any of you are interested in that, please reach out to me and I can tell you more about Beyond Measure. And Jason, any final words that you'd like to share? Any final thoughts on this subject matter before we wrap up? 
No, I think the whole episode has just been a really wonderful reminder to be more present and really savor moments in life because the nature of this reality is temporal and it's fleeting and ever-changing. And I'm getting a lot of reminders to be more present in a lot of ways. Some of them loving, some of them maybe a little more challenging and difficult. But I think the overall message to me, Whitney, and the thing I'm taking away is just to remember to be with life and try and really absorb as many experiences as I can, fleeting as they are. So it's been another great episode. And Appreciate you bringing this up and appreciate you know you sharing your process and your experience. And we will be back again. We have three episodes a week of This Might Get Uncomfortable. Every Monday, every Wednesday, every Friday, we have special guests. So stay tuned, subscribe, rate us on Apple Podcasts if you haven't done so already. And we'll be back with another episode of This Might Get Uncomfortable soon. Thanks for listening, watching, and sharing. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.